Please take your Bible and, and uh, meet me in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Those of you who are into golf, you will recognize the name uh, Tom Watson. Uh, Watson is, uh, is one of the world's, known as one of the world's greatest players, particularly in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, and, but, but he remains a golf icon in many ways to this day. Uh, he won, he's won PGA Player of the Year six times. He was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in 1988. He's won every major tournament at least once and, and uh, a few of them more than once. Uh, and he's also a man of integrity. Uh, the story goes that there, during, during one particular tournament, and you know if you follow golf, you know that this is a highly competitive arena where one stroke is the difference between winning and losing. And in one particular tournament, uh, Watson was on the green and he, he put his putter down behind his ball and the ball moved. No one saw it. No one said a thing. But Watson knew the ball had moved, even though it had rested back into its original position. And so he, because he knew this, he went to the official and reported the infraction and was charged with a one-stroke penalty and lost the hole. I mention this because we've faced similar situations. All of us have. Situations in which you're tempted to take the easy way, but instinctively you also want to do what's right, even though right can be very, very costly. But these are the moments that shape us, whether on the golf course when no one but God is watching, no one but God sees, or when you're on the grand stage when all eyes are on you. For Martin Luther, it was the Wittenberg door and his 95 theses. For uh, Abraham Lincoln, it was the Battle of Antietam and the Emancipation Proclamation that followed. For Jackie Robinson, there was Ebbets Field and the breaking of baseball's color barrier. History is filled with such moments. You see, certain moments define you. They define your generation and the generations that follow. And we find one such moment today in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel's life contained many of these moments, even as we saw earlier in chapter 1. But this one, in the lion's den, later in his life, is, I think, the one we most remember. So as we close our series on integrity this morning, it's this moment I want to consider with you this morning. And the lesson here is that faithfulness to God is never motivated by earthly gain because a life of integrity is its own reward. Let's read this together. I'll read the whole of the chapter, 
Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, were all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. 
As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Once again, Father, we want to thank you for our time we have this morning in the Scripture. We believe these are your words, and they are living, and they are active. And so we ask that your word would have its full effect in our lives today. May may the Holy Spirit uh, help us this morning to read your word, to hear your word, to understand your word. And then to live in accordance with its teaching. For this, we need grace. So please come and be gracious to us in this way. For the good of your people and the glory of your name. Amen. The question I'm trying to answer this morning is, how did Daniel benefit from his integrity? Uh, how did, how was he rewarded, so to speak? How was he rewarded for a life of integrity? Thus far in the series, we've talked mainly about the effect that integrity has on those around you. But in this, in this scene, we, we find three ways, I think, in which Daniel's integrity enhanced his life. In that, first, he was set apart for God. He enjoyed relationship with God, and he knew the surpassing peace of God. First, Daniel was a man set apart for God. He was set apart in his work. He was set apart in his faithfulness to the king and his kingdom. He was set apart in his obedience to God. The chapter opens with Darius establishing his system of governance. Verse 1 says that, 120 satraps were appointed throughout the whole kingdom. Verse 2, 
says that over them were appointed three higher-ranking officials to whom the satraps were accountable. Daniel was one of these. We also find in verse 3 that Daniel served so well in that capacity that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. In other words, he was to be appointed uh, to what we might call the prime minister. In a sea of his peers, Daniel stood out, and this distinction brought him favor from the king. The other officials and satraps grew envious of Daniel, and they sought to find some ground for complaint against him. They were basically looking for dirt. They were, they were looking for skeletons in his closet, anything with which to bring him down. And I just want to point out that this was no small team of people. Well over a hundred jealous, bitter, competitive professionals were hunting like mad for any shred of evidence to use against Daniel, even a hint of wrongdoing. Can you imagine this? Imagine a hundred people scrutinizing your life. People who don't like you. Imagine them talking with your colleagues and co-workers. Your neighbors. Your spouse. Your children. Imagine them observing your work and and how you work when, when you think no one else is watching. Imagine them wiretapping your conversations and or searching your internet browser, what, what websites you frequent. Put yourself in this story. What would they find about you? What would they discover? It is truly amazing to me that their search into Daniel's life revealed zero wrongdoing. It says they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. What a statement. Can you imagine someone saying that about you? You know, it's easy or easier to give the appearance of godliness if we consistently isolate ourselves from the world and don't let people see the real you. But to live and apply your faith in plain view is where a life of integrity shines the brightest. After all, biblical integrity isn't merely the absence of wrongdoing, it's also the presence of doing right. What was it that set Daniel apart in this way? It was the presence of God in his life. 
It was the presence of God's Spirit. Look again at verse 3. This Daniel became distinguished above all the others because an excellent spirit was in him. In chapter 5, the queen said of Daniel, There is a man in whom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, troubled by his dream, similarly said to Daniel, The spirit of the holy gods is in you. In chapter 2, when Daniel interpreted another of the king's dreams, even Daniel confessed that the only reason he could do so is because God was with him, living in him, and had given him the revelation. The point is that the God of heaven was present in Daniel's life. This excellent spirit, the spirit of the holy gods, I believe references the Holy Spirit which is so critical to our understanding of integrity, because if we do not affirm our need, our need and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then every attempt at integrity will fall short. Unless the Holy Spirit indwells you, leads you, purifies you, and empowers you, You will rely on your own human strength when biblical integrity is always a byproduct of walking in step with God. That's Daniel. Therefore, unable to come up with any charge against him, his conspirators targeted his loyalties Instead, we we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They then manipulated the king into signing an injunction that forbid anyone to make petition or prayer to anyone but the king for 30 days. You see, so set apart was Daniel that his enemies, the only way to get him was to pit his loyalties against one another. Would he be loyal to the king or to God? Verse 10 is Daniel's defining moment. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I want you to look at the two clauses uh, on each end of this verse because I think they tell the whole story. The first says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed. In other words, he knew the cost of disregarding the injunction, yet he stood by his convictions nonetheless. I want to remember him in chapter 1, a teenager ripped from his family and homeland, and then see him now, an aged man who still refuses to compromise. About 70 years had passed between chapters 1 and 6. So whether it was eating the king's food in chapter 1, or the threat of being eaten by lions here in chapter 6, the temptation to conform was relentless. I think some people, 
they think that conformity plagues us mainly in our early years. That when we think about peer pressure, we think about young people. We think about our, young, our, our youthful years. So they let down their guard and they, I believe they become even more susceptible to Satan's schemes. But Daniel, notice, didn't let down his guard. Daniel's resistance to conformity was as evident as much in his 80s as it was in his youth. How did he develop a life of such impeccable character? The second clause that marks the end of verse 10 provides the answer. It says, as he had done previously. In other words, Daniel enjoyed relationship with God and he cultivated this relationship every day. Three times in this account, Daniel's devotion to God is characterized in terms of a personal relationship. In verse 5, those who conspired against him said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Here in verse 10, we're told that Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Later in verse 16, King Darius, as he has Daniel thrown into the lion's den, says, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. These three verses reveal that Daniel enjoyed a personal relationship with God. God was his God. Not merely the God of his parents or the God of his compatriots or even the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Daniel knew God personally and took the necessary steps to develop that relationship. And so... As you assess your walk with God, would you say that you merely know about Him or that you know Him? Because Scripture reveals that God can be known and that your relationship with Him can be developed just like our many relationships on the human level. Daniel viewed God in such a personal way that to not spend time with him wasn't an option. Think about this. How many of us would abandon our devotional lives if it meant saving our lives? After all, the injunction was just for 30 days. One month is all. Surely he could go a month without praying to God, without communicating with God. Or he could have met with God silently and prayed inwardly or wait until the middle of the night when everyone else was asleep. He could have found dozens of reasons to justify not getting with God, but he didn't because for Daniel, 
his relationship with God was the most important thing to him. It says he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. I, I love this. For 70 plus years, Daniel had lived in Babylon, and yet each day he remembered his true home. His house was in Babylon, but his home was in the city of God. And loved ones, I think that as circumstances and pressure and the cares of the world press in, we must never lose this perspective of our true home. But instead, fix our gaze, get uh, heavenward. And as it says in Hebrews chapter 11, looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Here is Daniel on his knees in a posture of respect, submission, humility, independence, urgently appealing to God. His life was not easy, but each day he went to the Lord in prayer, kneeling before God, asking for help. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, Daniel didn't want to face it alone because God was his life. He invited God into his life. And he gave thanks, notice. Though his life is on the line, Daniel's joy remained in God, and even the most pressing of circumstances couldn't diminish his sense of gratitude and appreciation. Kneeling in prayer, he thanked the Lord because there was grace to be had in this trial. Whatever it is you're facing today, what would need to change for you to thank God for it? Whatever difficulty you may be in today, what would need to change for you to thank God for that difficulty? And what if it doesn't change? Will you be willing to be thankful no matter what? What if just as an exercise, even for this next week, what if every petition we make of God is accompanied by an expression of gratitude? What effect, I wonder, would that have on our lives? And our approach to life. Because one of the purest forms of praise is thanking God when in desperate situations because it proves that your worship isn't circumstantial. Daniel didn't obey the king's decree. He couldn't. His, uh, the conspirators' plan had worked. They gave themselves 30 days, but it only took one day, just one day, The same day Daniel learned of the edict, he broke it. They had him and they charged him before the king and suddenly the king realized what a a terrible mistake he'd made. Upon hearing the news, 
King Darius was much distressed and spent all day thinking about how to rescue Daniel, but he couldn't. The ordinance stood and, he, and it could not be changed. Daniel was therefore brought forth and cast into the lion's den while the king could only hope for a miracle. And then we're told that he sealed, after sealing the den, he went to his palace and he spent the whole night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. And sleep fled from him. Church, there's a picture here, a contrast between human and divine power and peace. In Daniel, we see a man at peace, trusting in the power of God. But in Darius, we see a man who lacks peace because he trusted in his own understanding. Imprisoned by his own law, Darius is an example, I think, of getting what you ask for only to learn that your worldly desires leave you more desperate than before. The mighty king frets while Daniel remains calm and composed. The king endures a sleepless night while Daniel probably slept just fine. How much better then to be a a person of faith in a den of lions than a king without faith in a royal palace? To be a child of God at peace with God than a mighty monarch without peace. To rest in the power of God than to trust in your own strength. The next day couldn't come quickly enough as far as Darius was concerned. At the break of day, he rose and went hastily to the den and cried out in anguish, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God been able to deliver you? And this was the issue at hand. Whether God was able... And to the king's delight, Daniel responds with a resounding yes. And I find it interesting that the only time Daniel speaks in this entire chapter is when it concerns the fact that God is able. May I ask if you had to choose, if you had to, in all honesty, if you had to choose between the king's reaction or Daniel's, whose response is most like yours when you're facing a difficult situation? Are you more likely to worry and stress and suffer sleepless nights as Darius did Doubtful whether God is able? Or are you at peace as Daniel was, confident in God's plan, confident in God's power, even if it means enduring the lion's den? You see, peace is not the absence of danger, but the presence of God. What a spectacular moment. 
this is in Daniel's life. Daniel trusted in his God and was miraculously delivered. We need to know and realize, of course, that the story would have been just as spectacular had Daniel been devoured by the lions because it would have been the story of a man who stood by faith in life and in death. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, uh, he trusted the Lord and he was stoned to death. The Apostle Paul trusted the Lord. He was beheaded. Peter trusted the Lord. He was crucified upside down. Throughout human history, countless men and women of all ages have trusted the Lord and they've been killed for their faith. I suspect that even before this day comes to an end, presumably still more will be added to the rolls. Trusting God does not mean freedom from hardship or deliverance as we might expect. It means believing that God is in control no matter what, and He works all things for the ultimate good of His people. If it's to live, we live. If it's to die, we die. Either way, we're delivered. Had Daniel been eaten by the lions, the angel would have ushered him into the presence of the Lord. He couldn't lose, and neither can we. On the flip side, those who trust in self or in their ability to manipulate things as they see fit eventually come to realize that without God, there is no peace. Not really. Daniel's conspirators, for example, for a moment, for a very brief moment, they got exactly what they were hoping for. They had manipulated the king and Daniel had been trapped just as they had planned. And yet before they knew it, Daniel is delivered. The king is furious. And they meet the very same fate they had plotted for another. The evil they intended for Daniel had recoiled upon them. The chapter closes with the king praising God. He who ruled the world's greatest empire at that time exalted God and God's kingdom above all. So who gets the glory when we live with integrity? Who gets the glory in this chapter, Daniel? No. Not Darius. Certainly not the conspirators. The glory is God's. And God's alone. King Darius decreed that everyone was to recognize the God of Daniel. All were to tremble in awe before God, for He is the living and eternal God who works signs and wonders. The heaven and the earth are His, and He saves. He saves. As with Daniel, He sometimes saves from lions, but more importantly, from something much worse. This God, who gets all the glory from a life of integrity... He saves from sin. From all those times when we don't walk with integrity as we should. 
and he saves us from death itself. He saves us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. In closing, then, I'm struck by the similarities between Daniel's experience and that of Jesus. Both were devoted to God. Both were distinguished among their peers. Both were targets of conspiracy. Both were framed because of their obedience to God. Both endured the consequences of trumped-up charges. Both trusted in God. Neither one of them spoke a word in their own defense. Both were sentenced, even reluctantly. Darius reluctantly sentenced Daniel, just as Pilate reluctantly sentenced Jesus. Both were left for dead. Daniel in the lion's den and Jesus in the tomb. Large stones sealed both of their fates and yet miraculously, both came out alive. Daniel's resurrection, if we can call it that, foreshadows Christ's in many ways, but there is one monumental difference that makes all the difference. Daniel was a man just like us, but Jesus is the God-man. Daniel was spared. Jesus was slain. Therefore, when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't only that he received new life as Daniel did, it's that he secured life for all who trust in him. Because Jesus lives, church, so can we. By entrusting your life to Christ, you will receive new and everlasting life from God. Daniel could only look forward and anticipate God's Messiah, but we've already received the Messiah. We can look back to His birth, life, death, and resurrection. You see, we have even stronger basis for faith than Daniel did. Here we are this morning, having to admit just by our own experience, having to admit that life is filled with lions of many kinds. And so whatever your experience, be assured that Jesus saves. He saves today in various ways and He will save to the uttermost one day when the curtains of time are drawn and our salvation in Christ is fully revealed, we will receive from God a reward like no other. A heavenly inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So as we conclude this series, remember that throughout his life, Daniel's integrity was never motivated by earthly gain. Instead, he benefited by being set apart for God. He benefited by enjoying relationship with God. He benefited by walking in the peace of God. And he was saved to the glory of God because a life of integrity is its own reward. Amen. Father, for three weeks now, we've looked into this book and we've considered the theme of integrity and what 
a life of integrity entails. And even today as we wrap the series, we pray that you would make us to be men and women of integrity. And that it wouldn't be because we're searching for some earthly gain of some kind, but rather because we want more of you for your glory. So help us even now to be set apart for you. Help us even now to enjoy you. Lord, make us to be enjoyers of you. And then help us to walk in the surpassing peace of God, your peace, so that whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in, we can endure it with peace, knowing that you are with us. Do this, we pray, for your name's sake. Amen.